What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Tech in Shanghai podcast. I know it's been a while. The schedule has been a bit crazy lately, but late September, I had a great interview with Matilda Ho. She's the current CEO and founder of Emi Shuji, a kind of sustainable uh, farm-to-table grocery uh, e-commerce concept that's really making waves here in China. And she's also the managing director and I believe co-founder of Bits Times Bites or Bix X Bites, which is China's first food-only accelerator program and venture firm. So, I used to do these these intros a little bit scripted. None of the interview is ever scripted, but I used to script a little bit of the intro. No more. It's just not how I get down. It always felt a little bit weird. So, doing the intros exact same as the show now, just right off the cuff, exactly how it was. So, I had an awesome interview with Matilda. Really nice, intelligent uh, woman. She's doing really cool things here on the scene in Shanghai. Obviously, as many of you might know or suspect, the food, uh, the quality or food safety, food sustainability issues in China um, have, quite frankly, been horrendous for a long time. And it's entrepreneurs and companies like Matilda's that are really starting to turn the tide. Not only in building the infrastructure for. Uh, change to occur and for people to buy into, but actually also helping to generate the uh, demand via education of the consumer market. That's always a really big hurdle to climb for a lot of startups, kind of regardless of your your industry or market here in China. But in particular, an uphill battle with food,、uh, and they've been fighting the good fight. In the episode, we get into、uh, a little bit about how. They've been educating their market to see the value in what they're doing and to appreciate what they're doing, and the different methods of communicating with them that they found effective.、Um, obviously, we geeked out a lot about this new accelerator program. I, I told Matilda that I don't know if I'd even be able to be involved in something like that because I I think I'd get so excited and so invested in all the portfolio companies, just because food is something that I'm incredibly passionate about. Food.、Uh, Health and well-being, not only for the individual but for the planet, are big、uh, concerns and passions of mine. As is the combination of the infrastructure and the scalability of tech,、uh, and what they can bring, what that can bring to bear to these issues, and what kind of amazing solutions, products, and services might might bubble up from that. So, I think it's a really really cool project. Applications are being accepted on the twentieth of October. Just want to shout that out for every, anyone who's interested, who's doing a food startup. It's available to people that are just starting from concept or who've been operating for several years. It's really just a matter of the right companies fitting into this program. The accelerator says it wants their their mission is basically to shape the future of good food. And by that they don't mean tasty food, but they mean food that's、uh, good for the the individual, as well as good for the the environment and the planet as a whole. So it's a really really cool project, and it's it's a really stacked team that they have over there with the experience, and the network,、um, and the know-how to to pull this off and to really add a lot of value to people that are that are starting these type, types of companies. So to, if that's you, definitely check out Bits X Bites. dot com, and you'll find all the information there.、Um, just a little bit of note, a, a short note about the interview. We had a little bit of a intermission for the sound of jackhammers, which, as I said in the show, is kind of the soundtrack for China. Obviously, China is always developing and changing and building 
and uh, jackhammers are a necessary part of that process. So we took a little intermission, and uh, communications director Winnie, who was joining us, she went and sorted them out. It quieted down, and, and we kept going. So um, I really enjoyed this chat with Matilda Ho. I hope you guys do too. Any feedback in the form of what you liked or what you didn't like or anything at all, feel free to leave it in the comments on iTunes or personally get back to us at Tech in Shanghai at connect at techinshanghai.com. It's always great to hear from you guys. So without further ado, I give you Matilda Ho. Welcome to the Tech in Shanghai podcast, the pearl of the Orient. Shanghai is the city of the future. All systems go full steam ahead. It never stops. Technology, innovation, ambition. It's everywhere. Join us as we explore this new world and talk to the people making it happen. The Tech in Shanghai podcast. The future is now. Matilda, thanks for coming on. Hi, hello. So I haven't done one of these in a while. I'm a little bit rusty. So everyone and Matilda, forgive me if I、uh, stumble over my words a bit.、Um, but first of all, thank you for coming on the show.、Um, when we got in touch、uh, through Winnie, I、uh, I was really excited when I started learning about some of the things that you're involved in. You know, because for me, as we were discussing before the show, I kind of straddle two different、uh, worlds. One is kind of wellness and health. The other one is tech and startups, and、right. of course, I speak with a lot of entrepreneurs, and I love when the two converge, you know. And it seems like some of the things that you've done or are doing are kind of in between; they're converging, they're kind of meeting that synthesis. So, I don't want to spend too much time on like a background story, but、mm -hmm. just to get people up to speed on kind of who you are, where you're from, can you give us like the the Coles Notes version of that? Right. Sure.、Um, so、uh, I grew up in Taiwan. And then、um, in an environment where actually a lot of young generations started to be very aware of the health and wellness since they were young,、um, and when I moved to Shanghai about six years ago, I realized it's been really difficult to even、um, buy the food that you trust the source. And then you feel okay to just cook by yourself at home, and then so because of that,、um, I decided to、uh, create an online farmers market where it's a marketplace platform、uh, where we promote the source and transparency of the food, so you know where the food comes from, and we educate consumers、um, how to embrace a better、uh, lifestyle when it comes to cooking.、Mm -hmm. And then、um, after that, we、um, decided that. We could do something more. How can we bring more、um, purpose-driven startups in the food and sustainability field to also try to shape a, a better food future? And that's why we founded Bits and Bytes,、mm -hmm. um, which is a accelerator and venture capital、uh, platform where we invest in people and startups、mm -hmm. that enable a more sustainable food system. Yeah. Now I want to before we dive into both those things, and they're super cool. So I, I really I can't wait to speak about them, but. We were talking before the show that you had done some consulting work in the past, right? So I think you、right. worked with IDO and the Boston a, Consulting Boston Group. Consulting Group, and I think a, a lot of people are not. I think I know from the feedback we get, a lot of people that listen to this show. You know, of course, there's a lot that are entrepreneurs already and that are kind of, you know, living that、uh, or trying to live that dream, and a lot are kind of on the fence. You know, they're doing consulting or they're doing something else. And they have yet to make that leap. Not to say that they have to, but a lot of them do want to, and they haven't made that leap yet. For you, what was the impetus, sort of the catalyst, to go from, 
someone who was helping people grow their business to someone who actually decided I have an idea, I have a, a business, a purpose in mind that I want to grow and actually making the leap to go and do that. What was that decision making process like or that time in your life like? Right. Um, I think that's a very interesting question. I, when I work in consulting for about five years, I think the definition of creating an impact is very different. Um, at that time, I feel like working for Fortune 500 companies and advise the CEO how to grow the market from billions to 100 billions is something that I can really generate a lot of contributions for. However, if you think about the go-to-market aspect or how much of our advice can be implemented, is actually very minimal. Mm -hmm. And then so after five years, I realized if I really want to solve a problem, I have to be getting into the most dirty fields and then trying to solve the problems by myself. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how that um, I decided to make that movement. Um, an another good example that I like to use um, is being a doctor. So it, at, at a consultant, it's, it feels like you will give a prescription to the patient, no matter it's the health check or um, they're sick, so they want to get some prescription. However, um, you cannot really see the real impact whether the patient get fully recovered because of the medicine or not. Mm -hmm. And then so that's something that I feel that um, I need to do something and make some changes. There's a passion that I feel like if without me, probably um, I cannot really make a change. Yeah. And that's kind of why I decided to uh, leave consulting and do something by myself. Right. And I can yeah. certainly relate to that because so often, you know, you, you mentioned the medical example, but you give advice, you know, I, I'm assuming it's the same thing in these yeah. larger organizations where, you know, you do invest a lot, not only time, energy, emotions, and you want to see certain things happen based on the things that you suggest, but it's such a big organism and it's such a, a difficult structure to move, right? right? So you, you can provide the greatest advice and great ideas and all that kind of stuff, but probably very few of them are actually implemented and taken on board, right? Yeah, exactly. So once you decided that you wanted more, you wanted to empower yourself to have more impact in an organization or on the broader like world in the things that you're interested in, how did you come to, you know, I, I know you mentioned that when you first moved to Shanghai, there was a, uh, a lack of, you know, healthy food options and stuff like that. And of course, the food system was pretty scary at the time right. and still is in many ways. But why was that the main uh, focus that you wanted to, you know, uh, commit yourself to? Right. Among, of course, infinite options. Right. So it's definitely not like one day I woke up and I decided that I have to. I want to work in food. Right. Um, when I when I used to work in the consulting firm, um, I helped big company, food, big food and beverage companies like Unilever or Nestle to think about the growth strategy in Greater China. Mm -hmm. um, and then when I started to work at Ideal, I also started to work on. Um, various projects across the food chain. So I um, helped to set up organic farms for Chinese clients, um, setting up the first farm-to-table restaurant chains in Shanghai, um, and also a lot of digital innovations in food and beverages uh, here. And then so little by little, I started to build a lot of knowledge around what's really uh, going wrong in the food value chain in China, not to mention all the food safety and scandals. And uh, you see a lot of terrible news um, happening surrounding you. And then so that kind of started to build up over, over time. Mm -hmm. And then to some point that I just feels like if nobody is doing 
a bigger change, maybe that's time for me to、uh, try to step up and do something、mm-hmm. first. And you, you felt compelled. You felt drawn to the idea that you wanted to, I guess, close the gap between, you know, like you just said, farm and table. Like、yeah. you wanted to create more transparency there. Have allow people to have a closer relationship to their food and the people that produce their food and all that kind of stuff. Is that? Yeah, kind of exactly. Emotional stuff that was on that. Yeah, exactly. Like we we do feel like most of the people think about food as a product, but as people are more and more aware of the food challenges, they want the food not just a product that they can fulfill their、uh, you know the needs,、mm-hmm. but also they want a better service. They want a better food experience because food is such emotional things. It's not just、um, at an intelligence level.、Mm-hmm. So there are so many more things that we can do about it. There seems to be, you know. When I my, the first time I came to Shanghai was late 2009,、mm. and I've always been into health and wellness as well, and so I was searching for probably a lot of the same things that you were,、yes. and there was very few options,、mm-hmm. if any.、Um, and but over the last five to six years, I mean, of course, the big trend there's there's many big trends in health and wellness and food and organic farming and all this kind of stuff is certainly one of them, but it seems now that there's You know, a very big interest from the Chinese consumer market、uh, to do just that. Know more about where your food is coming from.、Mm-hmm. Have faith that it's healthy, that it's non-toxic, that it's not carrying with it a lot of potential risks for your health. You know that, and you know the concept that that you've been working on contributes to that. And you know, other other whether they're restaurants, as you mentioned, or retail operations around at least Shanghai, and I,、mm-hmm. I presume broader afield as well. Are really seeming to embrace that and, and responding by giving the consumers that sort of transparency. Have you noticed like a, a dramatic shift as well over just the last maybe one, two, three years as well? Yeah, I, we do see that there are more and more、uh, suppliers and player in this field that trying to、uh, react to the enlarging needs for a. Better tra- transparency across the food chain,、mm-hmm. but also I think、um, at the same time there's still a big lack of food educations in consumers right now. Like、mm-hmm. for example, on our Imi Shiji platform,、uh, we sell this ugly banana. I was going to bring that up because I saw it the other day. I was、yeah. on the website and I, th- I I saw it and it said ugly banana. I was like, what is that? Yeah, and it, it and took- they looked like ugly bananas. <laughs> <laughs> it took us a year to find a banana that can meet our standard, which is no pesticide and chemical. Uh-huh. In it,、um, however, when we put on the platform, we actually got a lot of complaints、mm. from the users that, oh my god, it's so fat and ugly and dark.、Um, right. How can you? Why can you sell this at this price?、Uh, why can you sell those big, bright yellow bananas that we see in the supermarket?、Mm-hmm. And so, if that you, you see that、um, it, this is.、Um, A problem that we think that it takes time and processes to educate consumers、mm-hmm. in a more seamless way, to let them understand ugly food is actually better for you. Yeah.、Um, but that type of things are very common in you know the Western world, but it doesn't necessarily、um, you know make the Chinese consumers understand. So it takes time. Yeah. There's a there's a very interesting dynamic here. Just to touch on that point for one second, but with. Food, you know, it almost seems like even though I get a very、uh, strong sense that people want all the things we've been talking about—transparency and organic—and all all the way down the line, they still kind of hold on to that ideal 
you know, physical uh, idea of different products, you know, because I yeah. think in China, you know, whether you're talking about vegetables or fruit, you know, it comes packaged in fancy boxes and it looks perfect and maybe it has a Buddha stamped on it right. or, you know, like it's yeah. it's always had that pristine perfectionist image a lot of the time. Right. So when 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 companies like yours are are trying to give ultimately what they want, they, they want that you know, healthy food supply. They want that transparency, but there's kind of still like a little bit of a schism there where they don't realize some of the, uh, some of the sh forms that that may take. Right. Right. Yeah. But I, I would, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. I would say that the essential challenge for, for all the food suppliers would always be building the trust. Mm -hmm. And in China, because of those scandals and all the food issues, people here fundamentally don't trust you. And then mm -hmm. so it's a process for, for a new brand. It's a process of building from mistrust to trust. Yeah. And you have to do all the different touch points in, in, a very, uh, in a very light way to try to make them feel like they can trust you and believe your brand. And also the, the, another challenge is how do you um, really transform the consumers from aspirational change to real behavioral change. A lot of people aspire to be that. Yeah. They love to read Dan Barber's news. They want to cook like Jamie Oliver. But when it comes to behavioral change, they will still order, you know, McDonald's right. or right. <laughs> some, some fast food to really, uh, you know, save the time. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And I think, you know, I, I'm definitely not one of the more critical voices of some of the dynamics here because I think at least it's getting better. You know, that's where my my mindset is at. But it is funny that you mentioned that because I think especially the culture here, it's so much of like a picture culture, see what I'm doing, you know, so people will, you know, put on their Lululemon pants and take a picture with a big head of organic broccoli. And then, like you said, walk across <laughs> the street and go to McDonald's or right. something. So I think that is an, an interesting dynamic. But I do think uh, people might be interested to know how you are trying to bridge that gap. Because so many brands, whether they're multinationals and they're big organizations or a lot of the startups here in the city, so, you know, one of the major tasks for everyone is communicating to their target market and mm -hmm. educating them, like you said, because they're coming from me, and I don't mean this in a disrespectful way at all, but coming from kind of a, you know, basic level of knowledge and information about a lot of this stuff because it's so new. So how do you guys communicate, educate the people that you're trying to, you know, turn into your customers or your community? How do you do that? Right. Um, I think the the way that we like to call this is content content marketing. Mm -hmm. We believe that content is the best way to communicate with the consumers. Um, if you if you really want to change a consumer behavior in food, it takes time, and we want, we like to call it a movement. Mm -hmm. So we're not going to leapfrog um, something just overnight. Um, another great example is MSG. It it took China almost ten years for the consumers to really. Uh, give away from using MSG in their food. And mm -hmm. it's it's a movement. It was started by, okay, reduced MSG, and then it started to use chicken powder to replace it. And after that, then you started to talk, talk about low content of ch uh, chicken powder, and then afterwards, and it's no MSG. And it, so it took 10 years for them to really change that behavior um, because it's such a strong uh, association with their culture and mm -hmm. their childhood memory. And so one thing that we do right now is we actually have have a really big content team to write about lifestyle-driven content, um, like recipe or uh, just an interview with some yoga trainer or uh, just trying to interview with moms how they cook a really healthy and light 
meal with their kids, that type of content to really make those Chinese people to um, know that they can change it in a very, very light way. Yeah. So I'll give you another example. We try to use a very negative way to talk about not to use um, this antibiotics or you know, all the type of things to put in your food. And mm -hmm. that actually made a lot of moms to uh, decided not to follow our WeChat account because in, in their mind, they already work their ass off and they don't really have time cooking and prepping food and then going home and reading our content it feels like they're not doing a good job being a good mom right. so that actually will shed them away and it actually would took them extra harder for them to decide to change their behavior mm -hmm. so that's something that we learned from the past that if you really want to get aligned with those Chinese moms, it actually takes time to make them feel like a tiny little positive change every day yeah in a little, and then that will help them to really transform their behavior. I feel like in China, you know, you, you mentioned the MSG example, but I think you could use so many, you know, I've, I've talked about this kind of ad infinitum, but, you know, whether it was coffee, you know, 10 years ago, and that you, you could, or wine, you know, maybe when yeah. we showed up, red wine yeah. was kind of just in the boom stage, maybe right. a little bit before for the average consumer. And you still heard people say, you know, Chinese people don't drink wine, they drink baijiu and blah, 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 blah. And then, and, and that's true until it isn't, and then it isn't in a really, really big way. You right. know? So I think that's the case with the kind of work you're doing and the kind of products and services you're providing is that you know, it's probably a bit of a slug early on because there's such a big gap in education and there's, it's so new and you have to reframe a lot of these different concepts. Mm -hmm. But once there's like a critical mass... And I'm sure this is what you guys are, are hoping for and working towards. But exactly. once there's a critical mass, it's like it, the floodgates are open, yeah. you know. Um, but before we move on from that, I just want to dig down a little bit more on that. Is there any, you know, you mentioned kind of different ways and forms of content you try to communicate with your your audience and your mm -hmm. community. Have you noticed in the past, of over the past year of constructing this content marketing, any, you know, particular piece you've done or uh, way or style or approach that was like especially effective that stood out as being like wow we got a really good hit from that right um one thing i would probably say is that um especially in shanghai market a lot of consumers really wants to have the role models if you if you look at the u.s market for example there are a lot of um documentaries or books um, like Michael Pollan or really important figures for mm -hmm. people to follow and then um, aspire to have similar lifestyle mm -hmm. for change. But when it comes to food in China, you see a, um, you see nothing. There's no chefs that got Michelin star or like before, you know two weeks ago <laughs> before two weeks ago. And then <laughs> and then you, you cannot really see any figure or idols that they want to follow. Mm -hmm. And then so when we started to post articles that we went to New York to visit Dan Barber and have an interview, that actually hit almost twenty thousand readership. Uh, one night and then wow. you see that people really aspire to uh, what's going on there and mm -hmm. why can't we have a similar restaurant concepts that support local farmers in the restaurant mm -hmm. and then we got a lot of requests as well uh, how do you get re reservation in that restaurant and then and then follow following um, that uh, success we then started to talk about Jamie Oliver. And you will actually be surprised how few people uh, really understand the movement that Jamie Oliver created mm -hmm. um, in the UK um, 15 years ago. Mm -hmm. And then so because we... Um, 
I myself is an ambassador for uh, Shanghai Market for Jamie Oliver Foundation, and so we started to have a lot of their content for the children food education here. And then, so that actually received a lot of uh,、um, readership and appreciation as well.、Mm-hmm. So now we're basically building a volunteer club for moms who wants to educate the kids with us in the international schools. Right. So that's that's something that we're working on right now. So is it kind of like you know providing the audience or the readers with me- not mentors but like inspirational figures? Kind of.、Yeah. I hate to use the term because it's overused, but like KOLs in a way. Obviously, Jamie Oliver is like top of the food chain、right. inside of food and stuff. But just giving them something to aspire to, or to kind of show an example of someone who's living these sorts of lifestyles and uh, ex- uh, expressing these sorts of、uh, values and things like that. Right. Right. Yeah. And、uh, if I can just, if I can just build something、um, on top of that. Um, I would say it's also the experience. So right now you see that in Shanghai, mo- more and more families really, really、uh, desire to bring their kids to the nature.、Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Shanghai doesn't have a beach, and it's really hard to go hiking. So、um, in Chinese, we call it 自然缺乏症 So they don't really have the exposure or you know the 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 chance to really experience the nature.、Mm-hmm. And then that's why we started to、uh, create a program where we can. Bring the kids and family during the weekends to see the grass-fed cow just、uh, one and a half hours outside of Shanghai.、Mm-hmm. So that's something that we think it's、uh, it would be really beneficial for the families and the kids to really see that wow, there are actually grass-fed cows、uh, right outside of Shanghai. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, let's dive back in. So we、yeah. had a brief. <laughs> did you sort them out, Winnie? <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> We had a, a brief interlude.、Uh, the sound of China is a jackhammer around every corner, but、uh, <laughs> Winnie went and set them straight. So,、um, I, I don't know where we were, but where I want to, we're going to move on. My last question is: when when you're doing a, a startup, as you're doing, as we get involved in a business, you become an entrepreneur. I think a, one of the things that Drives people or allows people to become an entrepreneur as they see opportunity, or they have a good sense of pattern recognition. They could look at a, a large data set, and I use that term, but I basically just mean look at the world and say and see patterns and see where there might be opportunities or where their skill set or their expertise can innovate something and do it better. However, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because you can, may you know, the type of people that entrepreneurs are probably. Do that a lot,、mm-hmm. and they don't just see one pattern; they see many, and they see many opportunities. So, you've been at this one for a year now.、Mm-hmm. How have you kind of kept blinders on、uh, and not gone in every which direction and focused down on on the core of the the business? Right. And、uh, then we're going to get into a way that you actually <laughs> took the blinders <laughs> off and、uh, went the other and to, into something else. Yeah. the The way that I see it is the vision. the The vision since day one. Would never change, and it should never change.、Mm-hmm. Which is, we wants to enable a more sustainable agriculture system, and with that vision in mind,、um, the rest of it is the operations. And when you have that strategy aligned, then the operation that follows should be something that you can be more tactical, and then you just try and 
um, error that you learn from failure and then you continue to optimize your operations. Mm-hmm. So the way that uh, since day one, we only have a team of five, then we know that it's very focused. This is our business model. We're doing e-commerce. So uh, what's the most important critical factors for running an e-commerce model? How can we hit the profit in X years? So with those really uh, key measures that we measure our success, it would be very easy to... Um, uh, set up a different KPI with different team members um, as the company scales. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of how we see it. Right. Um, Any big business. surprises since starting? We, we we discussed a little while ago, you went from the consulting side of things to the entrepreneurial side of things. I imagine the grass is always greener on the other side. So <laughs> exactly. any, uh, any surprises since you've been involved in all this stuff? Uh, or, probably too many. Probably too many. Biggest too. ones. <laughs> biggest surprises. <laughs> Uh, the, I think the biggest surprise I would say is how competitive uh, this market is. Mm-hmm. I think um, when you start a business that you think that you're basically solving a very niche problem for a very focused target consumers, but you will be amazed how fast your competitors can learn from what they see in you. Yeah. So uh, there would be... Especially it, in a market like China, right? I mean, it's just... Yeah crazy how fast people iterate here you know and po- companies pop up all the time to yeah. s- when they see opportunity right so originally i would say that we're thinking that we're we want to be very steady we want to have our own space pace uh we want to do something right mm-hmm. but then we kind of got forced to start running because mm-hmm. then your competitor are catching up really quickly mm-hmm. and they can start to say very similar things like you said, like, oh, we support sustainable farming. Right. Uh, we, we support copy local paste, farmers. And then yeah. we got our images got stolen. You know, you see the same kids image in the other competitors <laughs> platform so then you will be like wow we you see just ugly need to- bananas everywhere <laughs> now yes so we just need to do um a lot quicker uh, and we need to get big fast right and that's something that i would say that we didn't really anticipate like how fast it is mm-hmm. and uh last question on this that i know a lot of people uh, are interested in um did you guys raise capital for for this company so far? And if so, what was that experience like in terms of timelines and all the rest of it? Yeah, with this matter, I would say that um, I'm very fortunate because even before we started this uh, startup, we already have uh, the capital mm-hmm. uh, from a, a strategic investor mm-hmm. who believes in what we want to do and also uh, not only seek for the potential financial return, but also believe in the strategic value that the, the company believes. Mm-hmm. believes. So um, that's very lucky that we will be able to build a relatively heavy capital upfront mm-hmm. to be able to support this business model for the long run. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what everybody dreams of, right? Not just the capital, because in certain instances, that might be relatively easy to find, but a partner that buys what you, you know buys into what you're doing and feels the same way, and as a result of that understanding, will give you a certain amount of leeway, at least, you know, to execute on what your vision truly is and not make those compromises that I'm sure pop up all the time, right. especially in a highly right. competitive yes. environment. Yes, and right. especially in the tech industry. Yeah, um, and sure. and it, it's actually a very interesting intersection between food and tech because for, for tech, every everyone is 
everything is about speed and how fast you can get the consumer base. What's the traction like?、Mm-hmm. Uh, when it comes to food, it actually takes time. It's very stable, and it takes time for you to see the return comes in.、Mm-hmm. So when these two different sectors started to overlap, is actually a very interesting sector for、uh, investors to see right now.、Mm-hmm. All right, so now we're, we're going to segue into something—a new project that you've、uh, gotten involved in recently—and、uh, this is the Bits and Bytes or、mm-hmm. Bits and Bytes Food Accelerator Program, right? Exactly.、Um, why don't I mean I'll butcher it? So why don't you briefly introduce it to me again, or so that we're we're fresh on it,、mm-hmm. and then we're going to dive in, and I have. Lots of stuff I want to talk to you about. Okay. <laughs>、um, simply put,、uh, Bits and Bytes is a food tech accelerator、mm-hmm. in Shanghai, and our mission is to shape the future of good food by investing people in startups that can enable a more food ecosystem、um, that cut across from farm or production retail all the way to consumer、um, education.、Mm-hmm. So all type of problems that we want to support the startup in the very early stage with enough capital, community, and mentoring support to in, in, to make sure that they will be able to、uh, succeed in、yeah. in the early stage. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a super cool idea, and obviously, you'll be leveraging a lot of the the learnings that you've gathered over the last. Well, intense learnings over the last year, and I'm sure network and education and learning that you've done over the past several years here in China. But I just think it's such an exciting time. I mean, of course, it's an exciting time for technology and startups and entrepreneurship generally, because the ability to、uh, leverage exist- existing technology and actually have an impact is obviously. Coming down, right? So the cost、right. of doing all these things is coming down. But particularly, as you mentioned before, with something like food, because it's such an emotional, such a visceral component of our lives. You know,、mm-hmm. we most of us eat food several times a day, and it goes inside our bodies, and it's responsible for how we feel and how we look, and so many other things. And、uh, I just I love how these two worlds are are clashing now, right? Where、mm-hmm. where technology is coming to food, and there's so many cool things going on. Um, I want to read one thing from that I saw from your website, and I've never done this before, but I I, I thought it was so cool that I kind of wanted to to read it on air. So you just mentioned a bit of the the purpose of the the program, right? This is this is the part. So it was kind of like the, in the section about what we're all about or our, our philosophy or whatever,、mm-hmm. and it's being a skeptical optimist. Which、right. I think is probably I fall into that category <laughs> generally, right? Right.、Um, so it says food systems are complex, an intricate web of relationships in which cause and effect across the supply chain is difficult to fully understand. The risk lies in the unintended negative consequences of our good intentions. This happens when we react to a problem with an isolated rather than a systemic approach. We know that there are no perfect solutions, and that even the most considered solutions may have unpredictable outcomes. So our goal is to make no presumptions, to challenge every so-called fact, and to embrace complexity in order to understand it. We are skeptical optimists because we believe a rigorous approach is needed to create a future of good.、And、I like the way you use the word "good" throughout the website. <laughs> It's clever.、Yeah. Um, who? I just have to ask. Who put this copy together, or who? 
Did yes. any one person so, write it? Or? Yeah, our core team Everyone did it. Everyone put their heads together. Yeah, it's just like when you when you look at the future of food movement, if you Google that, you will see that it's everywhere. Everyone is talking about future of food. Yeah. But we want to just add a good layer on it because a lot of technological development not necessarily bring the positive value to the future of food. That's right. why we want to add a good aspect into it. Yeah. No, I just, when I read that, it really, I mean, it's unique, uh, it's unique. Uh, it's a unique way of saying things, but I, I really like it. And I, when I went onto the website for the program, that seems to come through everywhere. You know, like in 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 the way that you guys communicate, the look and feel of the website, and of course, hearing conce conceptually what you guys want to do with this. So, is there? I guess the first question is, why did you go from what you were doing to doing this? You mentioned briefly, but why was it so important and so urgent that yep. you decided with already what I'm sure what I'm sure is a full schedule and lots of pressure and all that kind of stuff <laughs> to do something like this in addition to what you're doing? Right, right. Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, why that sense of urgency? Right. Um, the way that I see this is very simple. If I want to really create that um, to solve that complicated food system by myself, it probably would take a hundred years. Right. Um, however, if we would be able to provide a platform where a community of entrepreneurs can do it together, the scale of impact would be accelerated. Mm -hmm. And that will give the next generation a better chance to have a better uh, food system. So, mm -hmm. Um, just as simple as that, we want to really bring a network effect um, to the whole food system because everything is interlinked. If you want to solve a problem uh, for agriculture, it will also go down to the demand where the consumers see the agricultural problem. So mm -hmm. everything has to be in a network effect so that we will be able to bring a, a, a better solutions to the system. Right. And just purely uh, out of my own curiosity and for fun, what do you see, you know, because you're bringing all these uh, motivated people together, you're empowering them with capital, networks, mentoring, all this kind of stuff, and I'm sure it's going to net some really cool results. Um, but do you have a vision for what our food system looks like or how we access good food, let's say, in 10 years' time? Give ourselves a little bit of a, a little bit of time for yeah. development. Um, I would probably break down into demand and supply, mm -hmm. and I would still start from the demand. Um, I think right now uh, the full the the sustainable uh, aspect of the consumer awareness is still in the infant stage, especially in China. Mm -hmm. So we really wish that for building that thought leadership and see more and more purpose-driven companies in food that are happening in the future, we'll be able to enable most of the Chinese consumers to start understand where the food comes from, where the food goes, how we every single individual can contribute to food waste reduction or uh, just be more conscious eating. Mm -hmm. So that would be something that we really want to make that impact. And that would be something that we would measure our own success. Right. And um, in this, as a result, then we believe that in, on the supply side, then there will be more and more responsible food makers and farmers that will um, use a better way to treat our land, to be able to make a better ecological impact to back to our soil. Uh -huh. So that would be something that we also want to bring to the table. Okay. Good answer. I'm going to press, <laughs> press you for more. So in 10 years' time, uh, when Matilda wakes up in the morning, whatever time she wakes up, 
how is she getting her nourishment? That's I want you to paint a picture for me. Like just how to, how to do get you my what? Your nourishment. Like how do you, you how do you consume your food? Like what is your food consumption look like in 10 years from now? Wow. Just speculate. Yeah, that's great. Um that's a really great question. <laughs> I hope that um I will already have a um home farming robot kits right. in my living room Which is so that likely, full right? miles yeah the full miles will even be reduced right um and then i will be able to cut the lettuce um into uh my breakfast plate and probably bring some insect powder to um as my protein source right. on to- on top of the lettuce yeah no i i <laughs> i agree and i i ask because i love to geek out over this stuff and all the things you mentioned, I mean, I think those are probably much nearer than 10 years away is the crazy thing. You know, yeah. maybe we can't even imagine what the food system looks like in 10 years because, you know, the protein you just mentioned, there's a startup here in Shanghai that does that. You're probably probably familiar with them. Um, you know, the, uh, the countertop farming, there are many different incarnations of that right now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just a matter of scaling and developing that, that technology so that it's more convenient and it's easier to manage and it's... Uh, the the yield is better and all those sort of things. But, you know, I, I see a, re- you know, and I like the picture you painted. That's what I want, too. You know, I, I want to wake <laughs> up and I want to take my food right off the vine or off yep. the hydroponic, whatever it's growing yep. off of, so that I can eat food that is f- as fresh as possible. Yep. Um, and there's no waste in the system and all that kind of stuff. But it's interesting to consider what the impact of that would be because I think there's probably... It's, there seems to be a big trend. You know, globalization has been the big trend for the last 100 years, right? I feel like with, you know, not just in the different food concepts we've been talking about, but more broadly with tech in terms of 3D printing and all these other things we could talk about, seems like a localization is happening mm-hmm. where all these technologies are kind of bringing everything back down to the individual so you may not be getting Mex- uh, Mexican avocados in five years' time. You might be getting you know, 12th floor of Shanghai apartment avocados in in five years time. And, you know, the implications for that on on global trade and how the world looks, I mean, in many ways, it would be great, because I think a lot of the work that you're doing, I think in general, people that feel like uh, putting good food in their body also have a uh, connection with the environment as well, right? They, exactly. They, it's not that usually they're both linked. It's not usually one or the other. Right. Um, so it would be interesting to see if these two imaginary situations that we're talking about yeah. come to pass, what the world will look like. And hopefully it means there'll be a lot less um, inefficiency in these systems and there'll be a lot less pollution. There'll be a lot less environmental damage. Yeah. Um, yeah. If I can, yeah, if I can put just one uh, layer even more extreme, mm-hmm. um this emerging category of culture me is um, trying to go to market in five to ten years time where mm. you can really start to eat beef um, that is not from the the cows right. or eggs that is not from the chicken that can even lower the carbon footprint or all the different clim- climate um, change yeah. uh, because of the animal agriculture and that is something that again that we need to un- uh, we need to create another set of consumer educations to really understand what's going on yeah. um, so I think that would be something that uh, we're really excited to see yeah. in think, 10 years time things as well. are going to get so <laughs> weird you asked me well, you asked me when we were breaking for the jackhammer stuff why i do this and that's one of the reasons i just love to be close to seeing all this stuff you know because it's so fascinating to uh 
to not only use it, of course, things that are available, but to envision a, a not so distant future where a lot of these things that we want or that will make our lives better while simultaneously improving uh, the impact that we as a, a human species is having on the planet right. will become available right. and much, much more accessible to more and more people. Yeah, It's pretty, uh, I like geeking out about that stuff. So <laughs> that being said, I mean, when you're running two, two companies, how involved will you, like how will you manage your time? Because you're putting a whole nother layer of, of, of tasks and work on, on top of you as an entrepreneur. So right. what will that look like? What will that uh, dynamic and in the responsibilities you have look like? Right. The way that I see this two ventures together are actually uh, complementary to each other mm -hmm. because by running a, day, a business on the field every day, you see real world problems. You see all type of operational challenges every day. And then you get really close to uh, what's going on in the market landscape right now. And then you got a lot of great contact for different uh, business development partners or media partners, mm -hmm. which can also benefit to the Bitsman Bytes program for sure. Yeah. And we actually also got a lot of referrals from Imi Shiji um, to, uh, to, to, to connect with a lot of young entrepreneurs because they are really inspired by what we set up and they want to do something very similar but probably in different aspects. Mm -hmm. So the way that we see this is like the way that they coexist can create a, a, a very interesting synergy out there. Yeah. I don't know yeah. if I'd be able to be involved in Accelerator because I think I'd be too <laughs> excited by all the different <laughs> concepts that are going on, especially right. if I was running my own business on the side. Um, but a question about the Accelerator. Will this be an international intake? So it's not just yep. Chinese companies that uh, can apply. It's all right. around the world. We accept applications from all over the world. Right. So we're actually uh, going to do a road show in Europe and the U.S. in um, November and December mm -hmm. um, because we believe that um, even a startup team from the Western side, um, if they are interested in solving a problem which could be very similar in Chinese market, then we will still be able to provide similar resources and mentoring support to them. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, be honest. Are there any concepts you're hope like that you're have an eye out for like if you see applications like oh yeah i was hoping one of these would apply <laughs> is there anything like that I any would, bias at all uh i would probably say food waste food because waste. this is just really such a um, growing problems right now all over the world right. and even at the uh farming side the distribution side or even the fridge in the consumer education there are so many different ideas that we're trying to work on mm -hmm. to solve that food waste reduction yeah. and we're actually working with um ideal um org in san francisco to think about uh what would be some of the interesting ideas that we can solve yeah. and there's a, a challenge right now on the platform that invite um startups all over the world to contribute their ideas yeah that's awesome. I mean, I think, there, there, and I, again, another reason why it's so cool that you guys are doing this is because food is one of those things that has kind of been neglected for a while in this whole tech brouhaha revolution. Right. You know, it hasn't really impacted too much our food supply, our food system, the way we grow food, consume food, all that kind of stuff. And as you just mentioned, you know, it's often talked about, you know, the global food supply, rising populations, environmental um uh, shenanigans, you know, going on affecting yields and all this kind of stuff. And it, will there be enough food, blah, 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 blah. But, you know, one of the things that 
gets talked about less often is just how much is wasted, you know, exactly. and it's just that food efficient. If, if we did nothing else in terms of production, but just brought up our efficiency with regards to foods, you know, we would be, it would be a big, big step in the right direction toward feeding more people with more food, with more healthy food for longer, all that kind right. of stuff. Right. Um, so I've got a couple questions here for you at the end of the show. Mm -hmm. Some of them I've asked many of our guests, Others, you're the first one. So <laughs> I'm going to hit you with them now. The first one is, if you could put a billboard anywhere in the world, where would it be and what would it say? Uh, that's a great question. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, because... while, while you're thinking about that, one, one of the, the final thing I wanted to ask you about the accelerator is obviously a lot of Accel accelerator programs have set terms, right? So they're there for three months, and then the host takes a certain amount of equity and gives a certain amount of capital upon graduation. Just for people listening that are interested in getting involved, can you share that kind of stuff? Right, yeah. So we are actually provide a three-month program, mm -hmm. and um, it will be based in our office in Shanghai. And then um, with the exchange of a minority share, we will be able to provide um, a capital. And then also with that program, we will um, support as many advisors, mentors as possible uh, with also different resources and assets for people to uh, prototype throughout the three months and with the, with the ending demo day um, in the end of the program. Right. And then so um, another thing that we'll provide is to help the startups teams in the very early stage to seek a better product market fit mm -hmm. as well as sharpening their business plan um, for the following investment. Right. So is it standard um, equity and investment for all the companies that come in? Yes, exactly. And is that set already? Uh, yes. Um, however, we do have different packages be just because of the startups' different stages. Right. So it oh, really depends on yeah, yeah. you know whether they're still. So they're in not a very all brand new. Yeah. Some, some might come in because they want to access the Chinese market or, exactly. or whatever. Okay. Yeah. I got you. All right. Back to the billboard question. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I will probably uh, put it in San Francisco just uh -huh. because um, that's the location where um, majority of people embrace really provocative ideas. And what would you say? Uh, <laughs> I would probably say that, uh, yeah, that's, that's quite cheesy, but I will probably just say future food uh, from China. Future yeah. food from China. Yeah. Let, make them think. I like that. Um, do you have any opinions that you would be reluctant to express in front of a group of your peers? Sorry? Do you have any opinions that you would be reluctant to express in front of a group of your peers? I'm basically uh, trying to see if you've got any like strange thoughts or anything. <laughs> so do you have any opinions that, you know, if you, you're at a social engagement or whatever, would be more reluctant to share them? This is a question by uh, Paul Graham from Y Combinator oh, okay. that he asks intake. So relevant for you because I'm sure you'll be interviewing app uh, yeah. applicants. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually, I'm actually a. Uh, I think because of the ideal culture, um, we 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 cannot really talk about any negative comments in front of people because um, the philosophy being when you want to provoke innovation or innovative ideas, everything has to be positive and encouraging. So although any team present a super shitty idea, we will still um, basically... super shitty? 
Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Just <laughs> clarify. <laughs> if it's a super shitty idea, we cannot really uh, say that. Say that. So yeah. it, it would be like, that is a great well, idea. That's probably. But, you know. Yeah. You don't want to say, that was super shitty, that idea. Yeah. We don't, we don't want that. Yeah, but you know, especially in the very early stage of ideation, you, you could easily pivot the business model and make it to be a super awesome hero product in right. the future. So right. that's something that I learned from the culture. I remember one time when I first joined IDEO, I I make a comment like, "Oh, can I criticize this idea real quick?" And then the MD look at me and like, "No, that's that word is prohibited oh, in really? this space. Okay. So we cannot use anything around positive culture." Yeah. yeah. Got you. Yeah. Um, this one may be the same, and I'll give you the opportunity <laughs> to skip this one if you like. But this is a, a question from Peter Thiel, right, mm -hmm. uh, the famous investor. So what's one thing you believe that almost nobody agrees with you on, if oh, anything? Oh, that's <laughs> – yeah, that's, that's in the, the book, yeah. the first chapter. Yeah. Um, I'm so glad I don't have to answer these questions. <laughs> I, I will have to answer in related to the food since that's what I'm working on. Yeah. Um, a lot of people are actually debating, um, do you think that if all the farmers grow organically, can we still feed 9 billion people by 2050? Mm -hmm. And I, I think I'm a strong believer in that. Um, that's w kind of why we believe that um, a facet approach, a multifaceted approach, um, in different agriculture would be able to achieve that mm -hmm. because a lot of uh, people were skeptical of farmer's market or organic farmer, whether they would be able to, uh, you know, feed all the mouths. Yeah. Um, but I think that is something that technology can play a critical role mm -hmm. in supporting that. 100%. Right now, you might see that the yield might be smaller and the price is not approachable and not as affordable for most of the people. But that is something that we believe and we want to, con we want to continue to fight for that. Yeah, I yeah. agree 100%. Um, which kind of leads into this question, but what is the change <laughs> you'd most like to see in the world? If you had a magic wand, the change that you would most like to see in the world, clean slate, whatever you want, you're king of the world, you're God, you're whatever. What would be one change you'd like to see? I would probably say that um, the transparency in food. I hope that all the country change their regulations that they have to basically put non-GMO in every single uh, food that mm -hmm. we see in the supermarket or all the additives right now. You see that a lot of people actually add a lot of negative additive, but they try to um, play a lot of games to... Um, get away from it right so um that would be something that i really wish to be able to change one day <laughs> you really so that, care about food so that don't you? so that shoppers would be able to be more informed right um for their uh, food purchase decisions sure um what is your most common or most satisfying indulgence <laughs> uh, <laughs> 10 hairy crafts in one meal <laughs> Really? Okay, <laughs> didn't expect that. I love Harry Crafts. And, <laughs> Clearly. Um, yeah, we also spent almost a year to find organic uh, wild Harry Crab in China. That's a big accomplishment. I'll take your word yeah. for it. I don't know much about the <laughs> Harry Crab situation. Um, this is a fun one. So if, if aliens landed on Earth and you were the first to greet them, what would you show them first? Um. 
I used to be a amateur. Oh, I'm still am a amateur magician. So I'll probably play a magic trick. Oh, nice. Yeah. Really, kind of confuse them. See like, what's going on down here. They come down thinking they're all yeah, smart. Yeah, my my specialty is doves, so I'll probably. Are you serious? Some, yeah, dove. Like. So you can do like magic tricks with doves. Yeah, 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 yeah. In the tuxedo. I'm gonna have to see some of those yeah. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doves kicking around here, are there? <laughs> no. Uh, okay. So you're now an investor. What do you think is the quality in yourself that makes you investable? So you mentioned that you raise capital for. Uh, Imi Shaji, uh, but what do you think investors saw in you that makes you investable as an entrepreneur? Yeah, um, I would use the original quote from my investor. Right? Sweet. Yeah. So yeah, the 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 way that he say it is determination and passion. Mm -hmm. Like he said that. Uh, yeah, I I mean he said it. It's not very. Uh, common to see someone that really want to fight for something um, using the whole energy out of her. And it feels like this is what you're doing right now. It feels like you have 48 hours a day trying to, you know, work on something that you really want to fight for. And it is a passion that, um, that um, they think that something could more likely to succeed. Mm hmm and a follow-up question on that, you know, because we talked a bit earlier about the grass is always greener on the other side and going from corporate to entrepreneur. How do you maintain that uh, that passion and that vision and that motivation when you're confronted with the realities of being an entrepreneur, competition, red tape, hurdles, you know, HR, whatever the case may be, problems every every corner yeah. – you know, and, and the, the picture I often paint for uh, when I ask this question is, you know, and because, you know, this whole these conversations that I have with people like yourself, it's all about kind of going like rah, rah. Aren't you people yeah. great? Right. Yeah. And, and I do think you are great. And I think the things you're doing are great. But the reality is, is, you know, on a rainy Tuesday in December in Shanghai, mm -hmm. you're there putting the work in trying to build a business um, and emphasis on the word work and emphasis on the word cold and rainy you know it's not the the the, the sunshine san francisco picture that a lot of people mm -hmm. think about it's you're you're in the trenches and you're doing work so in that you know being that that is the case most of the time when you're not giving interviews when you're not in front of a camera and things like that what is that guiding light or fire that keeps you not only going because there's many reasons why we may not give up we've got responsibilities to investors to staff all that kind of stuff but what keeps you like literally emotionally and positively engaging in what you're doing right um one of one of our investment theses is to treat purpose and profit equally important mm -hmm. and i think that's a good translation of what my own guiding principle on a daily basis is the purpose means the vision that you always have the vision that this is something that you really want to work on for a long time mm -hmm. so the quote that i really like to say is focus on the road not the wall because if we always caught up by the day-to-day -day challenges um surrounding you uh, you will be lost. Mm -hmm. So you always need to focus on the long-term role that you you want to lead your team go to. And that's something that um, your team rely on you to give them. Mm -hmm. And there's no one else in the organization that can give them the strength and the direction. Um, however, 
the profit is also very important as well because without having been able to sustainable uh or survive in the long term, the impact will not be uh, achievable as well.、Mm -hmm. So that's why being able to hit that profit and also to to be able to run a profitable business and sustain your team and the company is is equally important as well.、Mm -hmm. So it's almost like we have to wear double hats all the simul simultaneously,、yeah. and to continue to remind us that th these two things are so important. On、yeah. both sides, I love how you mentioned that on the website and some of the copy I, I read earlier. That you know, because there's a, a lot of、uh, I love the shift in mindset in entrepreneurship now that does have sustainability and social benefit、uh, components to them. But in in the copy on the website, you you kind of stated that in fact in the future. You'll need you'll need both. It's not just like a nice to have, so you can say, "Oh, I'm doing good for the world, and、I'm, it's good for the bottom line." But we're kind of going into a dynamic, and the, the the generation that is turning into the dominant consumer class, actually, both are going to be necessary if you want success. Like necessary, not、exactly. just a, a great you know marketing thing or branding thing. Yeah.、Um, this might be the first time ever we finish on time. <laughs> I'll give you two more questions. You decide how long you want to take to answer them. The first one is: if you could call your twenty-year-old self, you had a magic phone, you、mm -hmm. could call them right now. Is there anything, or what would be the one thing you would tell yourself? I would probably tell her to start her own business early, right away. Yeah.、Right. But I, I have to say, it has to do with. A different generational change. Now that、um, you see how accessible the information is, the cost information is so low, and the way that you can learn quickly is so accessible as well. So、um, I would say that、um, learning from failure is definitely、uh, working in. The the current state.、Mm -hmm. So I would actually always encourage a lot of young generations to just start、uh, their own business in the early state. Right. And three pieces of advice to people who want more satisfaction, more meaning, more success in their lives. You know, for, based on your experience, and you know, everyone who's going through their own journeys almost on a daily basis has to figure out a lot of this for themselves. You know, how should I spend my time? How should I manage my Limited resources, all this kind of stuff. Do you have, you know, three pieces of advice that you've maybe some of the more kind of crystallized、mm -hmm. uh, learnings that you've taken on board over the、mm -hmm. years that you could share with people to more fully actualize themselves or their ambitions or、mm -hmm. whatever the case may be. Well, the first. Piece of advice I would probably say is find your passion.、Mm -hmm. I think this is always very important. A lot of entrepreneurs will say that the problem they want to solve always started、um, by their own problems,、right. and I think that's really important because when you started to become an entrepreneur, you you cannot sh shut down your brain even when you go to bed or every morning when you get up. You start to think about your company all the time; it never stops away. And there's a very Blurry line between your work and life.、Mm -hmm. So if you're not doing something that you feel personally passionate about, it wouldn't take you a long way.、Mm -hmm. So that would be the first thing I would say. And the second thing I would say is build the empathy.、Um, that's actually the a, a little bit on the other side of the first advice because a lot of people tend to focus on solving that problem based on their own. Need、mm -hmm. or their own problem, they forgot to see that how to empathize majority of consumer needs, and they forgot to listen carefully with 
other people's needs, days, and pain points. And so I think being empathetic is very, very important as well.、Mm-hmm. Um, and then、uh, the third piece of advice I would probably say is、um, learn from failure because I think a lot of people. Who graduate from the best schools, or who used to work in the top consultancy firms, and they started to gain a lot of skill sets where they can see at a very top level without really deep dive into what's going on in 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 the daily operations,、mm-hmm. and that makes them lose that humbleness and、um, the hung the hungry to learn something new,、mm-hmm. and I think that's something that a lot of people would、uh, ignore. Um, how important failure is.、Yeah. So,、um, actually, on, on a daily basis, right now, I, I I feel I feel accomplished all the time. I face different challenges all the time. We fail all the time, but、um, as long as you are optimistic, alone you you learn something from the failure, and you make sure that you improve every single day. That will eventually get you a, a more successful outlook. Yeah, I feel like it's a real skill and. Uh, um, a skill developed over time to be able to manage、uh, mistakes, you know, and failure, and to actually digest them, chill out, put them behind you, learn from them, and go、yeah. forward as a better、yeah. operator, person, whatever.、Yeah. Winnie, I'm only four minutes over, so、uh, that's <laughs> probably my best ever.、Uh, Matilda, thank you so much for for giving me the time、uh, this evening. Before we go, is there anywhere that you'd like to direct the audience to any of your、uh, platforms or anything like that if they want to learn more? Yeah, so、um, our our website Bits and Bytes is、um, going to open up the applications for our first batch on October twentieth.、Mm-hmm. So any startup that、uh, wants to. Uh, solve the food systematic challenges. No matter it's、uh, food access, distribution, malnutrition,、um, or any type of food challenges,、uh, feel free to just throw the applications on our website. Okay, awesome.、Yep. That's it. Yep. Cool. Well, thank you again thank for you.、Uh, for coming on, and、uh, thank everybody, you、so、we'll、much. see you next time. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Tech in Shanghai podcast. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Tech in Shanghai for everything tech from Shanghai and China. See you next time.